This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Choddy, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. We've come a long, long way together. Okay, gosh, it's very quiet. Anyway, actually, I'll broaden up. Do you have any questions on things that are not related to maths? Through the hard times and the good. My dad was a toolmaker. I have to... Celebrate you, baby. I think you've got your first customer for tea. I have to praise you like I should. Yes, politics is back, but luckily we're here to bring you politics without the boring bits. Yeah, welcome along. It's going to be a hell of a ride, a hell of a ride over the next few weeks, months and year. There are 513 days until the general election must be held. Uh, there are 241 days into the local elections when the general election could be held. There are 65 days until the first King's speech. There are 20 days until a crucial conference season kicks off. There are two days until PMQ's unpacked returns. And zero days until the next reshuffle, which means... Stay ahead of the game with instant insider knowledge and erudite opinion. What a way to do it! Matt Chorley's Westminster Transfer Deadline Day on Times Radio. Get in! Yeah, Keir Starmer is shaking up his team, which is obviously incredibly exciting. The future of Jim McMahon hanging in the balance and the nation awaiting with bated breath. We'll discuss that, of course. Coming up, as politics returns, we've got a brand new political editor on Times Radio, Kate McCann. She takes us through her top five things to keep an eye on. Big problems, big headaches for Rishi Sunak coming down the track as he faces the prospect of a general election within months, possibly. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, let's get a take on the news from today's Columnist panel. The Columnists with Libby Rachie, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. Yes, uh, we say hello to Rachel Vester in the studio. Hello, Rachel. Hi, and hello to Libby Perris. Hello, Libby. Hello. Now, uh, we should talk about uh, the big political story of the, of the day uh, as Parliament returns. Schools, hundreds of schools uh, in England, supposedly still don't know whether or not they'll be teaching, uh, they'll be meeting in unsafe buildings. Um, in Scotland, I think they found a, a few schools which have used this concrete. In Wales, they haven't even started there. Uh, um, all the, yeah, as far as I can tell. Um, one of the interesting questions I wanted to ask you, Rachel, was the, 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 for lots of people, this has come out of the blue. You've done the Education Commission and the Health Commission, and this, I just wondered, has this, has this crossed your desk your, your, when you were doing the commission, the, just the state of the buildings? Yeah, there's a huge issue in the NHS as well as in schools about the lack of capital expenditure. So doctors and nurses have been describing to us, you know, buckets under leaking roofs, the lack of investment in technology as well, which again is a capital in, expenditure, means they're kind of, the systems don't speak to each other, one consultant describes described how at the end of a shift, you know, she wasn't able to cut and paste the notes because the computer systems were so antiquated. Yeah. Uh, and there's this sort of lack of long-term planning, um, which now is being illustrated, you know, in spades by this 
you know, horrific problem with the um, rack concrete. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's totemic of a wider problem, I think, which is the lack of capital investment in the public services. Because actually, if there had just been a programme of updating, refreshing, rebuilding public buildings they'd have dealt with a lot of these by accident because of the oldest buildings built in like the 60s and 70s using this new technology, uh, reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Um, and so they'd have probably dealt with, never mind dealing with the ones where actually they'd have just got round to it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And never mind preparing for the changing world and the future and digital and the need for IT and broadband in all these yeah, places yeah. as well. And that would have all been included. Now, uh, the broader question I wanted to ask, because Labour have obviously, as you would expect, have gone hard on this. They're, they're attacking uh, the Tories. They say that, well, b- both publicly and privately, they couldn't there couldn't be a better story for them to demonstrate they didn't fix the roof when the sun was shining until uh, they get asked a question about, well, what would they do instead? Let's just take a listen. This is the Shadow Education Secretary, Bridget Phillips, and was on Times Radio yesterday speaking to Kate and Adam uh, with, on Sunday morning with Kate McCann and Adam Bolton. Um, uh, spent a long time criticising the Tories, but was then asked repeatedly what she would do and refused to say whether Labour would spend money on rebuilding schools. I've asked, I think, three times now about whether Labour will reintroduce what you've just described there as a very well thought out and, and you know important plan for schools and you're not able to tell me that you will so I'm going to take it that Labour won't reintroduce the rebuilding programme for schools. Well we wouldn't reintroduce a, the same programme that was there before because the needs of schools have changed but I can't set out a school rebuilding programme and identify where those schools are from opposition. And on and on it went. Um, Libby do Labour need to do something more than just tutting at the Tories and saying, oh, have you seen what they've done now? Oh, we were all that rubbish, aren't they? Uh, because then the closer we get to an election, they need a better answer than we wouldn't start from here. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of the the neglect that we have had over years has been partly because of this sense, uh, you know, that the the electoral cycle and people have to have something new. They have to announce something new and marvelous and and showy, like uh, Olympics and HS two and prestige new um, headquarter buildings. But I mean, this has been known about for ages. And what what we need, I mean, what we need from Labour is a firm understanding, and they can do it from a socialist point of view. You know, this thing building call it concrete cancer and just like Celotex which came up in the Grenfell inquiry it's been about the dominance of cheap keenly sold materials cost cutting by building firms very poor regulation I mean do remember the war on red tape under David Cameron and just a general lack of respect for the kind of ordinary buildings which serve citizens needs and I would have thought that Labour would have sort of stepped up and spoken about capitalism and spoken about being in bed with the big building companies and and their profits and I'd rather they were up there talking about that kind of thing and then making firm undertakings because I think they would they would meet uh, some more approval than they do just by saying oh these nasty old Tories made it all happen whereas the fact is that I mean it's been going on under both kinds of government and it's been going on since the 1960s. And the really striking thing um, uh, Rachel was that one of the defining moments after the coalition was formed was Michael Gove cancelling the Building Schools for a Future programme. And, and they made a hash of that memorably. That was why I ended up with Dominic Cummings working for him, I think, because David Cameron wouldn't let him have Dominic Cummings. And then they made such a hash of announcing there was cancelling this thing. Um, the government says it has carried on doing some work and, uh, and so on. But then the critique from the Labour Party is, well, it's terrible they cancelled that thing. So the question is, well, would you embark on a new programme? And they say, well, we can't say that. Yeah, and I think the reason for that is their one obsession, if you like, is proving that they can be trusted to run the economy, balance the books. Uh, And Rachel Reeves is ruling over the shadow cabinet with an iron rod, the shadow chancellor. Um, And at the moment, I think they can just about get away with it because it's unclear how many of these schools and hospitals are affected precisely. So until you have a absolute figure for how much you'd be expected to spend. Labour can say, look, we can't just write a blank cheque. But it's a sort of wider problem. I think in the end, they are going to obviously have to spend the money on this. They are going to be able to it could come under capital expenditure so they can borrow to spend that money. Um, but whoever's in power after the election is going to have to do it because you can't have children going into schools that might fall down or patients lying in hospital beds where you might have the roof fall on their head. And actually, um, somebody's just texted in saying uh, Labour's record in Wales should be used to understand how they're governed in England. I'm not sure they have demonstrated sounder governance. NHS and education is a perfect example 
of where Labour are failing in Wales. That's Greg and Cardiff. And actually, the 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 isn't the the what the, my understanding is they're still looking at whether or not schools and hospitals in Wales have this problem. They're, yeah. Actually, they're behind the, uh, the Westminster government. Yeah, this is a national problem, you know, leaving aside devolution. Yeah. This has been going on everywhere and different governments of different political persuasions have got the same problem and whoever wins the election is going to have to sort it out and it's going to cost money. Well, somebody else says, uh, Amjad, stop, uh, please stop this childish line of questioning that hammers Labour for not committing to any spending a whole year before the general election. Once the election is called and they have a prospect of being the next government, it's open season. I mean, the thing is, they have committed to lots of spending. They, you know, they've spent the non-DOMs and the private schools VAT. Uh, thing, you know, so they are committing to things, just not particularly big Well, things. everything they're saying, committing to has to be paid for yeah. somehow. So if they commit to this, the danger is they'll be asked, well, how will you pay for it? Yeah, and then they'll be asked to commit to other things yeah. as well. Um, uh, and then there's a, a broader question, uh, Libby, about the uh, Labour sh- reshuffle. Are you gripped by it? <laughs> Not terribly. I mean, obviously, we all wait anxiously to know what Angela Rayner is going to be doing with our lives. Um, but uh, I guess she's deputy leader at the moment, isn't she? Well, she, yeah, um, she, she'll always be deputy leader because she's yes. been elected. But it's whether or not she, because she's shadow cabinet office minister. Uh, at the moment, which isn't, I think, even you know, even her closest friends would say that going into government, coordinating cabinet subcommittees is probably not where her strength lies. I think we need. I, th- I think you're right. I think she needs something to get her teeth into hard. I mean, it would be really nice to see her kind of really having a go at something and and sort of you know beating up the chancellor and generally um, uh, generally causing trouble. You know, and making something happen on her own patch. So I hope she gets put in charge of something solid, because I do think she is a person of of strong determination, from what I can see. Rachel, for me, the interesting thing is what happens to Ed Miliband actually, because there's been speculation that he might be moved, and that would be an incredibly sort of bold move by Starmer. And that is one area where there is genuine potential uh, conflict within the shadow cabinet between Starmer and Miliband on the sort of net zero agenda, how far they should go. They got whacked at the um, over the ULES uh, thing in the by-election. So they're very worried about that. So in a way, for me, that's a more interesting question. To move Miliband would be a huge thing, a big, big risk. Uh, but some there's been speculation he might do it. I think it's it would be it would be a, it, bigger than whatever happens with Angela Rayner if he did do it. Well, because that, I suppose it actually goes back to that point we've talked a lot about. And actually, you know, their reluctance to commit to anything before going into government. They don't have many people who've been in government, and Ed Miliband is is one of them. Although actually, because I went through all of YouGov's polling on uh, the shadow cabinet, you can sort of basically type in anybody's name and look at it. Um, Ed Miliband's got basically the same name recognition as Keir Starmer. 93, 92% of people have heard of them. Only 21% of people like Ed Miliband. Well, 29% for Keir Starmer. Only four, I think, of the shadow cabinet, uh, more than half of the public have heard of. So if you have got, and they are Ed Miliband, Angela Wayne, Yvette Cooper, David Lammy. Um, If you have got those people with a bit of public cut through... That's a starting point. Yeah, although it has to be good public cut through. Yeah, there is, and there yeah. has definitely been criticism from people around Starmer of Miliband. Um, but I hope he doesn't move too many people, actually, because I think what the problem with the um, government is they've been through so many cabinet ministers. Yeah. You know, it's five education secretaries in a year. I think it's four health secretaries in a year. Multiple chancellors and prime ministers, obviously. Um, and you need some... I think people like Wes Streeting, Bridget Phillipson are mm. actually getting their teeth into their briefs. Yeah, for some reason, West Streeting's not included in the pot. He doesn't have his own page. I mean, if, he's, if he isn't well-known after <laughs> his extraordinary book promo tour uh, of recent weeks, then I'll be very, uh, very surprised. Um, uh, let's just move on and talk about one other sort of real-world issue, rather than being entirely uh, Westminster bubble-focused. Um, the question of mental health. The majority of voters think the government is failing on it, but well, I think that's probably true of quite a lot of policy areas. A poll found one in five people believed that NHS mental care services were performing well. Large majority blamed the government for poor provision. Under 40s ranked mental health as a higher priority than crime, climate change and the war in Ukraine. Were you surprised by that, Libby? Uh, no, I, th- I think, I mean, the, the me- mental health services have been terrible, and most especially, they've been terrible for uh, children and adolescents. I mean, I remember when, when we ha- had a very troubled child and we were doing something private, and I just said to the, the, uh, the psychiatrist at the time, I said, what would we do if we were on the NHS? And well, how would we get some help? And he said, oh, stab a policeman. And then he said, well, actually, stab a senior policeman, you know, and there might be some attention wow. paid. Um, you know, there was this sort of sense of absolute bloody hopelessness. Um, I think it is interesting. 
interesting. I think the preoccupation with one's own mental health and potential mental health damage done by things is actually exaggerated in a generation at the moment. And I think mental resilience and examples of mental resilience are sort of the most important thing. But the actual services for children who are actually troubled um, and adolescents are actually troubled is terribly important. Um, and, and that is neglected. But I'm quite surprised that it being set against... Um, you know, uh, um, climate change being more important to them than climate change because yeah, the two things are intertwined. Yeah. You know, the, the stuff being given to children now, I mean, real information and so on, but given sometimes in a very intensive form, is making them scared. You know, uh, yeah. the, be, there's no future for them or the planet. And again, that's, that's a mental health issue. So the two things are sort of twined in together. Uh, Rachel, I mean, you know, you've yeah, been looking no, at this with the health commission. That's as well. absolutely right. And Libby's completely right about the sort of lack of provision, particularly for children and young people. But, you know, people really seriously ill, uh, young people waiting a year, 18 months for an appointment with CAMS, the Children and Adolescent Mental Health Service. Um, really shocking, you know, having to prove that they're suicidal in order to get any kind of appointment at all. Um, what, uh, but, and when, we, when I was doing the Education Commission, we were told that one in six young people had a probable mental health disorder. Now it's one in four. Yeah. That's so shocking. And um, In a way, there's no point diagnosing it if then there's no services, no services. there to, to but help. But I think Libby's right that it's also a broader thing about how do we build resilience in children rather than just treating the symptoms. And that goes back to the importance of a broader education system, including understanding how to tackle things like climate change, how to read the internet, how to understand the yeah. world around you. So broad so so people have a sense of control. It's not just you're not just judged on your exam results. Yeah, yeah. You're given a sort of sense of agency over your life. Absolutely, which, which, yeah, particularly with the internet world as well, so hard to, to, to feel that. Uh, well, we'll move on in a moment, but as Sue Gray starts her new job working for Keir Starmer, we're going to speak to one of our own Sue Grays. Get your fix hey! of the transfer mix. Oh, what a finish! With instant reaction from the biggest names in the game. Matt Chorley's Westminster transfer deadline day on Times Radio. Yeah, sorry about that. Our, uh, our uh, jingle machine is made of aerated concrete. Yes, some breaking news on the reshuffle. Uh, as we were just discussing, Angela Rayner to become shadow levelling up secretary, uh, which means she'll be going up against Michael Gove, uh, who she used to actually, but previously when he was shadow cabinet office minister, uh, she did go up against him and there was some good knockabout stuff there. So uh, that's just, just in, Angela Rayner becomes shadow levelling up secretary. Unclear if she keeps all her other jobs, shadow minister for the future of work uh, and all of that um uh but it does mean that lisa nandy is out of that job as shadow leveling up secretary will she end up at environment because we know jim mcmahon's gone we'll keep across uh we'll keep across that for you um uh, throughout the show here on times radio i know you're gripped by it and so we'll we'll keep you up to date um uh but it's also Sue Gray's first day as Keir Starmer's Chief of Staff. Uh, now, last week, I spoke to David Blunkett, Labour peer, former Home Secretary under Tony Blair, and asked him for his advice to Sue Gray. Well, she comes in at a very interesting time because there'll only be five weeks before the Labour Party conference in Liverpool in October. So I suspect that her first few weeks will be concentrating very much on making sure that all the bits fit together and the mechanisms are in place for a really good, what I almost certainly will be, the last party conference before the general election. So I think concentrating on getting that right, making sure that everyone knows exactly what their job is and ensuring that the, the mechanisms work. We haven't had a chief of staff for Keir Starmer, an official chief of staff for a year. And obviously that is quite difficult because everyone's struggling to do their own bit. So joining up the dots, I think, would be my second piece of advice to her. Uh, so that was uh, David Blunkett speaking to me last week. Well, uh, regular listeners will know that when we were waiting for Sue Gray last year, we spoke to several Sues Gray uh, to get their advice on uh, what <laughs> what should happen with Boris Johnson and party game. So we thought we'd get the, one of the back. Uh, Sue Gray, uh, Sue Gray, sorry, Sue Gray. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for coming back. What's your advice to the other Sue Gray, the less important Sue Gray this morning? Um, make sure that she's uh, got a good mug to take in with her, I would say. That's very important, and, yeah. yeah. And make sure that she doesn't sit in the wrong person's chair. 
um, they're very important jobs to do because if you get in the wrong person's chair, then you're in trouble. Um, but also, I would I would really love her to, as you were discussing earlier, ta help um, them to look at the mental health um, issues. That would be my key because I have a child who struggles with mental health as well. So uh, that would be my serious uh, comment to help them to encourage them to do that. That's, that's some top advice. So since you've um, since we spoke last year, have you had more irritating people making this same joke about you being called Sue Gray? You're hoping that this might all blow over now. Well, the trouble is, I've gone on gardening leave too. Um, oh, have you? So... <laughs> <laughs> you're you're taking this tribute act quite seriously, Sue. If you don't mind me saying. <laughs> Yes, yeah. So yeah, I'm on gardening leave to October 28th, so I've got a bit longer than her. Is it why you worked? To, you worked for charity, didn't you? When we last spoke. But, well, yeah, I, I do still work for charity, but I also worked for a a bank, and I've got gardening leave from the bank, and oh, um, so I'm carrying on with my charity work. Very good, very good, Sue. Uh, Rachel, your advice to Sue Gray today. Well, I think it's all about preparing for government, isn't it? And are they ready? And how does she make them really t understand the difficult decisions they're going to have to take? How to deal with the sort of those um, personality clashes that are going to come up around the cabinet table? And just being pragmatic and sensible and rational. Uh, and it, all the advice that a civil servant can give, uh, a former civil servant can give to a politician, uh, I think is the most valuable don't be ideological, do be sensible. Just practical, practical. office management. Pragmatic. Yeah, yeah. Libby, your advice to Sue Gray? Well, that's good advice, but I, I'm just going back now to my palmy days as a temp typist, coming into office after office, a new one every week. Uh, first of all, you've got to find out where the ladies is, how far it is and how long it takes to get there, and discover who or what is the office joke. Once you know who the office joke is or what topic the office joke is, then you're sort of well in, you're settled. You can start bonding properly <laughs> with your colleagues. That is some excellent advice. Um, who do we think will be the office joke in the Labour in the Labour machine? That's the uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Still, Jeremy Cor I think yeah, Jeremy Corbyn jokes safe, will go down a well. Safe one. Yeah, uh, definitely don't instigate wine time Fridays in the Labour no. office. That's probably the, the, the thing as well. Um, so, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, enjoy the rest of your gardening. Leave. Have you actually yet been doing your garden? Uh, no, because I've probably I've been dealing with my children because it's the uh, school holidays. Oh, so course, hopefully, yeah. in the future, are they going back? Are the schools all right? Yeah, my um, our kids' schools go back on Wednesday, so uh, yes, that they have got a school to get back to. Fortunately, fabulous. That is at least something. Sue, lovely to speak to you again. That's Sue Gray there. Sorry, Sue Gray, the important one, not the other one. Uh, joining us live on Times Radio, Libby, Rachel, lovely to see you both. You can read them both in the Times, of course, every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk. And don't forget, if you're a student, maybe you've just started at university, you can now get a student subscription for nine ninety nine per year. Just go online thetimes.co.uk forward slash student and you should be able to find that. Right, coming up it's Kate McCann's top five things to think about. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yes, it's, uh, it's a big day. It's a big, big day in politics because Times Radio's got a new political editor. Kate McCann is here. She's going to take us through five things to watch out for in Westminster over the coming weeks. Five 
Morning, Kate. Morning. How's day one? You and Sue Gray. Same, starting on the same day, we should have been queuing up for our building pass together. It would have been quite, <laughs> quite sweet, wouldn't it? On the new starters induction day together. Uh, yes, no, it's a big day. It's a big moment. And we just spoke to the other Sue Gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said the key thing when you're starting a job is bringing your own mug. Have you done that? Nope. Uh, and work out who... Uh, Libby was saying you need to work out who the office joke is. Have you done that? If I don't know, does that mean it's me? I'm not going to get enjoyed into that. I'm not, I'm not getting enjoyed into that. <laughs> but anyway, welcome along. It's going to be, I mean, what a great time to be joining as well, ahead of uh, what's going to be a busy time. So what we thought we'd do today is Kate is going to take us through uh, some of, the, some of the, the trends, the changes, the people, the policies, the politics over the next few days, weeks, months, and possibly next year that you need to know about. So let's start with... <laughs> right, number, what, number five. The count is right. at five. Um, let's go inside number ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rishi Sunak changed his cabinet, we'll talk about in a moment, but there's been changes behind the scenes inside Number 10, which could be more significant. Who's in and who's out? Yeah, now for most people listening to these names, you may not have heard of them before, but these people are incredibly important when it comes to the tone that comes out of Number 10, the messaging, and actually the policy too. So the most recent probably most important change is Amber de Botton, who was the Prime Minister's Director of Communications, has left number 10 and been replaced by Nerissa Chesterfield, who was uh, press secretary. So, I mean, why does that change matter? Essentially, there has been a conversation, let's call it that, ongoing in number 10 for some time now about the tone of the Prime Minister's communication strategy. Is it a good idea for the Prime Minister to, to sort of sit back, say things when he thinks there's something to say, and not spend a lot of time talking about all the other things the government does day to day? That has been, you know... The, the perception yeah, yeah. on the strategy for quite a while now, but there's been a lot of disquiet and worry that it hasn't been working and that a more aggressive approach, a more targeted approach, and an approach which shows that Rishi Sunak does care and get fired up about something would be the better option. Now, Narissa Chesterfield, who's been with the Prime Minister for a very long time now, knows him very well, is an advocate of that strategy, thinks that he has a lot to give, a lot to show, and that people will like what they see. So the fact that she's now in that top job, I think, would suggest that we're about to see a change of tone. Now, whether it will work, because a lot of people in the country don't like what they see when they see Rishi Sunak. And although some polling suggests that because he's very wealthy, people think he must be doing the job for the right reason because the pay's not great, other people look at his use of helicopters and think, it's not for me. And he just doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand. So... The, a change of tone in a more aggressive direction will be really interesting to see if it works, bolstered by some other behind-the-scenes additions of former staffers who've been brought in in strategy and sort of election planning roles who've been around the party for a long time and know the score, which Matt suggests to me that we could maybe be thinking about an election sooner rather than later. Uh, right, so that is the changes inside number 10. Right, now let's do number four. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, So, uh, you touched on it there a little bit. The things that Tories are cross about. um, Because there is always this danger of sort of tail-endy government, Mm -hmm. Prime Minister in trouble. Instead of worrying about necessarily what the public are cross about, they become a bit obsessed with what their parties cross about, given their propensity for removing Prime Ministers. So what is it that, that Tories are cross about right now? Overall, they are cross about the fact that they feel that there's an inertia in number 10. You hear more often than not people saying things like, well, lots of things go into number 10 and not very much comes out. So they are worried that there's a lack of delivery going on and that when they have to go to on the doorsteps and say to people, here's what the government has given to you, they're struggling actually for the moment to say really anything useful. Rishi Sunak tried to do something about that with these pledges, but they were fairly big pledges. And we know from the Chancellor yesterday out and about suggestions that inflation will go up again in September, largely because of public sector pay rises influencing that. So it's not going to be smooth sailing. Migration, for example, record numbers of people coming across the channel in small boats. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. it's all well and good saying, here are my five pledges to you and I'm going to fix them. If you don't deliver on them, that just gives lots of people reasons to say that you're failing. So... That's the biggest concern. I think in and amongst those, we touched on migration being one worry. There are others too. Energy policy, for example. The fact that people see the Prime Minister putting, and I know we're going to come back to talk about cabinet reshuffles maybe, but putting his allies into number 10, creating a mentality where he's driving everything from the top with people who are very loyal who will deliver, but not necessarily dissent. There's a bit of worry that actually is Rishi Sunak's vision the right one? What is his vision? And actually on energy policy, there's a round coming this week. Alok Sharma, former head of COP26, 
is, is try to basically defeat the, the government on wind farms. He's one of 25 yeah. uh, Tory MPs who signed essentially a motion in Parliament against the energy bill saying that Rishi Sunak should change his policy and allow onshore wind farms where people give their consent. It's quite a commonly held view among the Tory party and there is a suggestion that Rishi Sunak may well change planning laws to, to make them climb down. But it's a perfect example, isn't it, of something that the Prime Minister has gone out and about and said, no, 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 we won't allow this to happen thinking that's what voters want, but his party actually aren't in the same place. And it's a reminder that it's not all about Rishi Sunak versus the nasty right-wing Tories. Right across the spectrum, there are issues, whether it's China or the environment or now schools and hospitals, you know, there are a whole load and it doesn't... It's not just placating uh, one wing. Well, let's move on because you mentioned uh, the Cabinet. This is number... <laughs> so, last week, uh, Rishi Sunak carried out his, uh, his um, mini-reshuffle uh, Grant Shapps in at defence, Ben Wallace out, Claire Coutinho in his uh, energy secretary. The big question I want to ask you is, what does he do about Suella Braverman? Because there's talk of a bigger reshuffle. And there's an interesting question to why he didn't do it all at once last week. Um, here is, in fact, here's a, just a reminder of, uh, of her. This is Suella Braverman speaking at the National Conservative Conference uh, earlier this year. I voted and campaigned for Brexit. Indeed, I'm a proud Spartan because I wanted Britain to control migration so that we all have a say on what works for our country. High-skilled workers support economic growth. So that was Swallow Barber setting out her pitch. The interesting thing, if you follow the logic, like you were saying, of Grant Shapps, Claire Coutinho, close allies of Rishi Sunak, more allies inside number 10, actually, if there's another reshuffle, Swallow Barber is not really Team Sunak. No, but it goes to something that you were saying, which is that he has a number of different wings and, and elements of his party which he needs to bring together. And this is a Conservative government at the end of 13 years of rule. There are holes all over the place and water pouring out, and he is not going to be able to patch all of them up in time. Having Suella Braverman at the Home Office does satisfy a certain element of people. And actually, polling on the small boats policy is fairly good for the government. People generally think it's good to be doing something to control it. They don't always agree about Rwanda, for example. But the idea of control is good. And Suella Bravman is seen as somebody who can talk to that that right wing of the party. Now, he's got competing problems. First is if, if it's failing, if the Home Office is failing, which it, it, it is in some areas of policy, she's a good person to be taking those criticisms because there is a suggestion that if the Tories lose the next election, so Ella Braverman might quite fancy herself as the next leader of the Tory party. So tarnishing her record is not bad if you are Rishi Sunak and, and thinking ahead like that. But at the same time, having somebody who uses language which does turn off elements of the public, which he will need to keep on side to win the next general election, is just as much of a problem. The bigger question is, are you talking to your base? Are your base going to keep voting for you, whatever? Or are you trying to appeal to a broader constituency of voters, which you are going to need to stop Labour from, from taking votes off you? And that's the big electoral question, I think. OK, which brings us on to number... Two. To relaunch or not to relaunch. The big reset, not the one, not the weird conspiracy theory online one. Um, the, the, there's a lot of talk of relaunching and reset, but... When it, I mean, the number of Prime Ministers who've been around this, I mean, actually, I, you mentioned this this thing about things going to number 10 and it gets all gummed up and never comes out. But that's been, you know, a complaint levelled at endless Prime Ministers. As soon as you're on to talking about a relaunch, you've already sort of lost the lost the case, haven't you? He's still ultimately going to be Rishi Sunak, but all the strengths and weaknesses that, that got him the job in the first place. Yeah, I think that's right. And this idea of a relaunch... It's a bit concerning, isn't it, when you're talking about, you know, Rishi Sunak at the end of last term went to see all of his MPs, who remember were quite fractious because there'd been these losses of the by-elections and a general sense that the party was all over the place. And he promised, look, I have a vision and I'm going to tell you what it is in September. <laughs> now, that, that's, that's kind of quite an odd way of yeah. doing it because usually if you have a vision, you're quite able to articulate it, whether it's today, tomorrow, September or December. There is a... a a lot of work going into Rishi Sunak's conference speech, which is going to be the moment for him to really tilt his party towards the next general election with an appeal to people to say, this is what I care about, this is what I'm for. We started to see some of that in I Have Daughters, I Care Very Much About Crime and Security. But that's an eye on some of the polling we've seen over the weekend from Lord Ashcroft, which is suggesting that Labour, creeping slowly towards making progress in convincing people that they are not just the party of crime, which they generally are not seen as, 
but also that they are safe on the economy. Yeah. And that's a real worry for the Conservatives because if Labour can make people believe that they will handle the economy with credibility, they're not going to spend lots of money and tax you a lot, then that puts the Tories in even more of a bind. So I think this quest for a vision, this quest for a reset is very much at the forefront of those in number 10. And it's why, to go back to point one, five, rather, <laughs> to go back to point five, you're seeing these changes in personnel, you're, sh- you're seeing a, a shift in the cabinet, a bigger one to come, all heading towards refining what that vision really is. Which brings us to number one. Good. So, the election. Uh, uh, what obviously all this is pointed towards. When do you think it's going to be, Kate? And this is the, this is the sort of answer we're going to hold you to. Replay endlessly. <laughs> uh is it going to be... I mean, technically, it could be, what, the 28th of January 2025, which would mean an election campaign over Christmas, which feels unlikely. Are yeah. you in October or are you in May? I've always been a May girl. Mm. Um, and I think even more so now, because I'm looking at what's happening in Number 10, making those changes to personnel, a new director of communications, bolstering your, your very close-knit team with people who've been around before. They understand how to do that kind of aggressive communication strategy. And I have to say... The Prime Minister's just put out a statement in relation to, to RAC, to concrete, and it is aggressive. Rishi Sunak says it's, quote, utterly wrong to blame him for the failure to detect RAC in schools earlier. Asked whether he would like to apologise after it was said he cut the school's rebuilding budget while Chancellor, Sunak pointed to his 10-year building programme, which he put in a fund for 50 schools to be refurbished. He's coming out fighting. Yeah. And when Prime Ministers do that, it tends to suggest that they recognise exactly what you said. People have made their minds up in, in by and large, you can do so much, but now is the time to really dig in and show them who you are, because people have generally decided, which for me points towards a May election. I mean, I could well be wrong. but no, there I'm with are, you. There are, I'm, if it makes any difference, I'm with you. I think May is more likely than We can be October. wrong together. Yeah, I mean, there's too. a reason for it in that the local elections will happen then anyway. Yeah. So if you were to not have a general election then, the Conservatives could risk a real kicking in the locals, lose even more of their council hold, yeah. and then still potentially lose a general when we've had even more time for things to feel like they're not going right. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it, whichever way you look at it, there are pitfalls, but I'm still a May girl. And before that, we've got a couple of by-elections as well. And we, we might get details of that today, Uxbridge and Rutherglen. Possibly, possibly yes. I think the Rutherglen no, not, by-election... Sorry, not Uxbridge, Mid-Beds. Uh, Mid-Bedfordshire. Yeah. So the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election, we're expecting on, I think, October 5th or October 12th, um, if the writ is yeah. moved. There's a possibility the Tories could move the writ for Mid-Beds as well, which would make it around October 5th, which I think is the day after Tory conference happens. Um, both of those, I mean, for Rutherglen and Hamilton West, SNP are very strong in that seat, but Labour think they could have a chance. I think they last held it in 2017. For Mid-Beds, I mean, it's it's a huge majority for the Tories, and it has been a Tory seat for decades. So if there was a real shift there, yeah. it could be a, yeah. a real moment. Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Get the latest transfer news first. Unbelievable. Matt Chorley's Westminster Transfer Deadline Day on Times Radio. Get in. Yes, and we've got an update on uh, Keir Starmer's uh, reshuffle. Kate, what you're hearing? Yeah, we do. So we know that Lisa Nandy has been moved out of her position because Angela Rayner is, of course, the new levelling up secretary. My understanding is that Lisa Nandy is going to be Minister of State in uh, the Department for International Development, Shadow Department for International Development. So she will move into that brief from her current role. Now, there's no getting away from the fact that's quite a demotion. She's currently up against Michael Gove yes. on a big sort of policy area. This is for, so when DFID, International Development, got rolled into the Foreign Office, it's the job that Andrew Mitchell's got. Yeah. I think he attends Cabinet, but he's a Minister of State. Uh-huh. underneath the Foreign Secretary. Yes, which is what Lisa Nandy is going to be. Yeah. So she's no longer going to be a shadow uh, Secretary of State, as, you, as you're saying. So it is a demotion. And look, there have been a lot of talk around what was going to happen to Lisa Nandy and a lot of big questions about how you could move her, really, because... You know, there's competing views on it. Some people say she's done a huge number of media appearances. She's very, very willing to go out and defend Labour's record. She's she's really, you know, right front and centre of a lot of the party's policy yeah. on levelling up. And she's, you know, in some people's view, a good person to deliver that message. Others, though, suggest she's not been performing as well as they'd hoped. So clearly there is a sense within Keir Starmer's top team that the latter has won out and she has been given... A new role, but not not in the department not, where yeah. she wanted to be, and not on the not in, actually in the in the cabinet were Labour to win the next session. Kate, lovely to see you. Thanks for that update. Uh, Kate McCann, uh, Times Radio uh, political editor, uh, keeping across uh, that. So you've heard that here first. Kate breaking uh, that news for us. Now, all morning I've been promising you this. 
Quasi Quarteng now joins me on the line. Morning, Quasi. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm glad we've managed to track you down. Um, well, I, 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 it's not a question of tracking me down. I've always been in my office. I mean, <laughs> we just thought you were going to be in reception. It's nice. It, well, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Take us back this time a year ago. You were just about to become Chancellor. What did you think was going to happen? Well, I thought we were going to do something bold, uh, which we did. And um, unfortunately, the market reaction was such that uh, you know, there was a, 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 a lot of pressure on, on uh, guilt, the guilt market. There was the whole LDI issue that we hadn't uh, been cited on. And then about a month later, I was in Washington. I was called back. I was sacked. And uh, I think the prime minister resigned six days after that. Who, whose fault is it that it didn't pan out the way that you'd hoped? Well, look, this I'm not playing year. the blame game. I mean, I take responsibility. I think there was too much uh, too quickly. Um, I think there was there was a rush, and also what I do feel sad about is that, that there wasn't any real attempt uh, to explain or or hold the line. And I understand that um, you know people were under a lot of pressure. And after seven weeks, the prime minister f left, and Rishi Sunak took over. I think in October. It was it a failure of politics then, rather than economics? Do you think? Well, look, I mean, we can have endless uh, debates about. Uh, the strategic goal. M looking back, I think that I still agree with the strategic goal. I think we should have a lower tax, uh, you know, lower lower spending. That was critically important. Um, political economy, if you like. But I think the staging and the process and also the messaging left a lot to be desired. And there were also other things going on in the international market, such as the Fed rapidly increasing rates. Okay, let's talk about where we are um, today then. Uh, one of the big questions right now is the government that, you know, Tory party you're, you're part of, it is handling over many years uh, the question of dangerous concrete in public buildings. Sure. Uh, this is what Jeremy Hunt, your successor as Chancellor, said yesterday on the BBC. What I want to say also as Chancellor to parents is that we will spend what it takes to sort out this problem we will spend what it takes to make sure that children can go to school safely. Do you think that, I mean, he's there so promising to spend what it takes now. Would it have been better if him, you, previous chancellors had spent the money in the first place, refurbishing well, and rebuilding schools? I think hindsight is a beautiful thing. And you'll remember that as a consequence of COVID, the public finances were under a huge amount of pressure. I mean, the, 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 the eye-watering amounts that were spent... And I know, you know, having been there, I suppose, um, albeit briefly as chancellor, but I was also PPS to the pre a previous chancellor. The officials will say, "Well, look, you've got you got to spend hundreds of billions on COVID, so you know our ability to spend on other things um, is 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 going to be is going to be challenged." And um, as a consequence of that, I think decisions were taken, and now we are where we are, as they say. I think Jeremy's right. I think we've got to, you know, it's something that is unacceptable. You can't have the prospect of buildings literally caving in on people. And I think he's right to say that, you know, we'll spend whatever it takes to fix the problem. Jonathan Slater was the top civil servant at the Department of Education. has been saying this morning, the government had agreed to fund work on 100 schools a year to fix these crumbling concrete and other problems. But then a review by Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor uh, was carried out and the budget was cut to just 50 schools a year. Were you, were you aware that that had happened when you took over as Chancellor? Well, I think there was a discussion about, and I remember at the time, even before I was the Chancellor, um, th there was always a discussion about capital spend, and, and how much uh, you should be putting towards that. Um, and I know that, uh, as we all do, that under in the COVID circumstances, literally the budget ballooned. I mean, there were hundreds and billions, uh, 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 hundreds of, uh, of uh, um, you know, billions, you know, 300 billion, something like that, that was spent to, uh, to, to, to intervene on that. And that's going to put a pressure on, on, other, on other spending. I mean, that's, um, that's almost inevitable. Um, some people listening to this will think, well, you found that money for COVID. Uh, you know, and they, they appreciate that, you know, whether it was the furlough scheme or, or you know, the, the economic support or the health support and investment and so on. Why, part of the problem is that Conservatives, including you, you want low tax, low public spending. And that has meant that there wasn't money to rebuild schools, rebuild hospitals, rebuild uh, the, the road network, the courts, 
Um, and we are reaping the consequences of that. The, the years of saying, no, we're not going to spend the money because we're a low-tax, low-spend Conservative government means that, that we're now putting up props in schools to stop the roof caving in. Yeah, but we spent the money. I mean, it's not a question of the fact that we didn't spend money. I mean, when I came in in 2010, we were spending something like £700 billion. And now that's gone up to more than a trillion. So to say that we've somehow cut spending in the round is, is just not the case. So why is nothing working? We keep getting this, and it comes so in polling. The, the, the schools are falling down, hospitals are falling down, people can't get uh, their, their operations, The court, there's massive backlogs in the courts, uh, in the prison. Why is this sense that people think that after 13 years of government, the country isn't working? So I think... Uh, and I'll, I'll go back to this. I think the biggest thing that happened in terms of public finance was the COVID intervention. OK, you've got to remember what that was. The whole economy essentially was in lockdown. Our society was in lockdown. And Rishi Sunak uh, did the right thing. He intervened and spent literally three or four hundred billion pounds uh, on, purely on, on, on COVID support. And as a consequence of that, other bits of the budget were, were constrained. Now, when I was Chancellor, what I was trying to do was to get growth, because unless you get growth in the medium and longer term, we simply won't be able to afford uh, any of the public services that, the, that our people have a right to expect. Um, and that's, the, that's the, the issue. And, and that was the whole debate that we had, you know, and, and, and I think that uh, we're, we're taking a balanced approach. I think Labour are probably going to try and increase taxes, um, because without growth, all you can do is simply increase taxes. Uh, but the Conservatives have put up taxes. I mean, we're, we're heading yeah, for we that Yeah, we have. We have. I so mean, so your I mean, criticism was... of Labour putting up taxes doesn't really work, does it? Because you promised not to put up well, taxes, it, and you have. It, it, no, I mean, it, it, it does work, because we can always say, it might sound like a weak argument, but it's still an argument, saying that they're going to put up taxes even more than, than, than we've had to, um, insofar as, the, you know, they're in their DNA... Uh, they are they are more prone and they are more willing to to increase the tax burden. But you're quite right. We put up taxes because simply we put up spending. Uh, Liz Truss and I tried to get off that ramp. We tried to um, have a pro growth, lower tax um, economy, and I think the market was concerned that we didn't we we didn't have anything on the spending side, and that was something that you know we discussed as well. And I was hoping to introduce measures on the spending after uh, the the mini budget. Um, do you think that the Conservative Party is in a significantly better position now uh, than it was this time last year when you and Liz Truss were heading into government? I, I think it, I mean, look, my view about last year's events is that I, I think it was a very difficult time. I think there was a bit of panic. And I mean, clearly, Liz Truss thought by sacking me, she would prolong her political life. But she resigned six days later. So that that didn't work for her. And I think you know, she went from quite, you know, overconfidence perhaps to, to terror-stricken panic uh, looking back. Um, and I was very upset to, 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 be, to be dismissed. I think Rishi Sunak has done a good job in, in stabilising things. Um, I think it was very important that someone came in and, you know, just in, in a way took the drama out of the, the soap opera of, of politics. I think he's done a good job in that. And now his challenge is to to, to give a vision, as you've discussed, uh, and, and a good, compelling reason as to why he and the party should be re-elected. Um, you, you mentioned that, that things didn't end well with Liz Truss. When was the last time you spoke to Liz Truss? Oh, I spoke to her a few months ago, um, and, and I think she's been away. Um, and, you know, I think, I think she's doing her thing, you know, making the case for free markets and lower taxes, uh, around the world. Do you think that's how, in fact, we've just heard this morning, she's going to make a speech in a couple of weeks in London, setting out her vision for how the government could enable the UK to achieve faster economic growth. Well, she, growth is her thing, and, and that's something that we, we care very passionately about. Is she a good advocate I mean, for it, though? Is she the right messenger for that message? Well, I mean, you know, no one's going to stop her, you know, giving speeches, and if people want to listen to the speeches, will you be listening? that's up to them. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about this. I don't even know what the day <laughs> well, do you, is. I suppose, do you, do you think it would be better for the calls that you, you'd like to make, lower tax, lower spending, pro-growth? Would it be better if we had a period of silence from Liz Truss rather than... Uh, well, no one's going to silence her, OK? No one's going to, you know, she is who she is. She's very dynamic, very outspoken. Yeah. Uh, and nobody, and I think, you know, it's, it's free speech. You know, you don't have to listen to her. One doesn't have to listen to her, but she's got every right to say what 
uh, what she wants to say and, and when. Um, um, we await her, um, her her peerages list. Uh, are you going to be on it? Are you headed to the I don't House of Lords? So. I don't think I'm 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 on <laughs> I'm penciled in for that. Do you think she I, should I have? Do you think she should have that uh, 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 resignation honours list? Given that she was only there for what six what, weeks, seven weeks. Yeah. It's a tricky one. I, I think I think yes. I mean, I think it's very ungenerous. Uh, to, to, to say, oh no, you, you did such a short time, you can't have any list uh, whatsoever. And there were people that she wants to to recognise, uh, you know, people who helped her uh, in the campaign, people who helped her in government under you know extremely difficult circumstances, uh, and that's up to her. Um, just finally, before I let you go, we're looking ahead. Uh, you know, we've got party comment season coming, autumn statement, king speech. We heard last week that actually the economy was doing better than we thought um, post uh, COVID with the revisions uh, from yeah. uh, um, uh, the ONS. Do you think there is scope for the sort of tax cuts that you announced last year in order to be reined back on? What's your message to Jeremy Hunt? Well, look, I think I think his balanced approach is the right one. I think there has to be a systematic process behind this. And people, you know, in the party say, we've got to have tax cuts, we've got to have tax cuts. You know, we've, we've done that. They were unfunded and the markets reacted the way they did. My preference now would be for um, some measure of spending restraint, which we've uh, mentioned, allied with some uh, measure of, of, of tax decreases because we're not going to tax ourselves to prosperity. Kwasi Kwarteng, really appreciate your time today. Former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng joining us on Times Radio. Uh, Kate McCann's still here, Times Radio's uh, political editor. Uh, what do you make of that, Kate? He thinks basically spending cuts, tax cuts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? He's incredibly robust. I thought it was... It was uh a fairly difficult listen on schools rebuilding and investment because actually the 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 figures suggest that it's the lowest real term spending on schools rebuilding programs since 2010 that the government has overseen and in fact Jeffrey Clifton Brown who's committee of the public accounts committee who've done a big report into concrete uh, which is due out in the next week or so is suggesting that the government has been underspending the money it had allocated for rebuilding of schools so i think a little bit more research into the numbers yeah, yeah. is worthwhile but just at the end there uh, list Trust should be allowed, Kwasi Kwarteng says, a resignation honours list. Yeah. Even though she was only in post for, for just a few short weeks. Maybe he's, he's got a knighthood coming or something. Well, you never know. know. But yeah, I mean, interesting. A lot of people, not a lot of people share that opinion, I think. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. But don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything as we head through what's going to be a pretty roller coaster few weeks and months when it comes to politics. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. 